You know, to Highland, where'd he go? There he is. Um, to Highland, the fact that you're all in this room is really almost meaningless. Uh, he wore a shirt today that said sold out. And, and you know the way he's singing, you think, oh, that seems kind of showy. It seems, oh man. If you know Highland, that's just the way he is. Matter of fact, I was here uh, one night for a, the, during the 24-hour night of prayer. And he had set up his piano out there in the lobby. I was here at 3 o'clock in the morning. I think I was going to do my, my, where I take people in my suburban, we drive around. And I got here early for half an hour or whatever. <laughs> and Highland was singing at that volume out there. You just cut him any which way. This guy just flat out loves Jesus. And so, uh, Highland, thanks, bro. Thanks not only for just, you're, you know, a pretty darn good singer too, but, but thanks too for uh, your passion for singing uh, far is less than your passion for the Lord. So thanks for that, brother. Uh, those of you who are new to Hope Community Church, uh, my name is Steve Treichler. I'm uh, the senior pastor here at Hope Community Church on the pastoral staff. I want to welcome you here. Uh, we're in a study in the book of John. And uh, so if you want to grab a Bible or something, you can open up to John chapter 8. In front of you is also, maybe there's a little, we're getting a little short on them. We'll have to restock the pews, but we had little booklets with the Gospel of John. You are free to take those if you'd like. And we'd like to welcome you in our, in our study in the Gospel of John. When I was in college, um, I made a commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ when I was a freshman back over at the uh, University of Minnesota. And uh, shortly thereafter, I kind of got this desire to talk to other people about Christ. If, if it moved, I like to talk people about Christ. It was just a thing that I did. And if you know me, that's kind of in my nature anyway, just to talk to people. I'm kind of a talker. Uh, it skipped a generation in my family. My grandfather was like that. He was an amazing guy. He was a barber. He could talk to anybody about anything at any time. I have that gift also. Uh, my f grandfather used to go out ice fishing and never would bring bait. Would just find someone else, go out, and my dad would say, sure enough, he'd just come walking back with a pail of bait. It just was the way he did things, and, and that's kind of me. And so, uh, I'm a schmoozer, so watch your bait if you're around me fishing. <clears throat> but I remember distinctly being in conversations with people uh, about Christ and about Christianity. And by the way, if you think that's a hard thing to talk about, it's really not. People are very interested in talking about faith matters. They just don't want you, you know, ramming it down their throat. But they want to hear uh, what you have to say, and you, they want you to listen to what they want to say. And that's, that's reality. But I remember in, in a series of around three months, uh, as I was just engaged in talking to new friends and talking to old friends about who Christ was, one question kept popping up over and over and over. And it would come sometimes out of the blue, and I felt like it was even like, a totally evasive question. It wasn't like a question that was even what we were talking about. Just out of the blue, this, other, this question would come up, and the question was, what about other religions? What about other religions? Which is a valid question, it, but it had nothing necessarily to do with our conversation uh, where these people were at in their faith journey with Jesus Christ. And what I, what I found there was, was sometimes there's conversation that's happening on a level where you're engaging with one another, and other times there's conversation that's happening that really is nothing more than what uh, interpersonal communication experts call turn-taking. You know, you're just waiting for the, for the noisy air to stop coming out of my pie hole so you can say your stuff. It's like you're having this conversation. They have done studies and they found that up to 70% of all 
interpersonal communication is nothing more than turn-taking. I'm just waiting for you to be quiet. I'm not listening to you. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say what I wanna say, and that's what I felt like was happening. We're going to enter into John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is, for, for a part that's going to come up later in this chapter, it, it's basically one big dialogue that Jesus is having uh, with, these, with these religious rulers. We're going to break it up just like we did in John chapter 7 over a few weeks. But this is quintessential turn-taking. This is... This is unbelievable turn-taking. In fact, it's so much so, I'm calling it John chapter 8. Welcome to the Matrix. It, it, these people are, are just not, there's, there's some serious problems going on. It is a weird, weird conversation. The more I studied it this week, the weirder it got. So, I mean, I, I just want to, to I'm going to break it down for you and show you how weird this conversation is. So, we're going to look at John chapter uh, 8. And we're going to start in verse 12. Now, just to catch up on the context of where we're at, John chapter 8, verse 12 follows John chapter 8, verse... Oh, man, you are sharp as a marble this morning. Yeah, 11, very good. Holy cats. Toss me a bone here. This was not a hard question. Okay, anyway, John chapter 8, verse 11 is, is the end of the story of the woman who is caught in adultery. Started in, in John chapter 7, the last verse of that chapter goes to John chapter 8, verse uh, 8, chapter 8, verse, now you got me messed up, uh, verse 11. Now, here's the deal. Most scholars, and I would tend to agree, that that's, that section of scripture was inserted later that it was, uh, it was a true story. We looked at the reasons for this last week. If you weren't here, listen to it online. Uh, the whole thing, but it probably is inserted here. So it would be very safe to do is to go from John 7, 52 right on to John 8, uh, 12 without skipping a beat. In other words, that's important because of something that Jesus is going to say here in just a minute. So that means that we have to talk about what was, what was Jesus doing. Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles which is a feast at the end of the, of the uh, uh, harvest time, and it was a feast in Jerusalem. There are goobs of people. Goobs, that's a new word. Goobs. There are lots of people there at this feast of the tabernacles. And they would celebrate things. They would celebrate a, a water ceremony, and we're going to see something else in just a minute. They would celebrate a light ceremony. And Jesus said on the last and greatest day of the feast, in the end of John chapter 7, he says, I am living water. Whoever comes to me, streams of water will come out of him. Now we're going to see another statement that's going to start the matrix. Here's the start of the matrix. Okay, here we go. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so that's, that's the statement that sends everything into weirdo land. It's going there in just a minute. He says this statement, I am the light of the world. All right, now let's give a little background on what, when he says that, what is he saying? First of all, historically, historically what happened at that festival was that in a certain court, and it turns out to be the exact same court where Jesus is saying this statement, we'll see that in just a minute, that they would have, during this festival, they would light four large, I don't know exactly how large they would, large they would, but they were large 
big uh, uh, stands, and on these big stands were each four different big bowls that would have oil in them, and they would light them. There would be 16 different bowls lit. Now, you got to understand something. There was no electricity back then. So when you lit these big bowls of oil, and it was 16 of them in this courtyard, and it would go up against the limestone walls of the temple courts, it would illuminate the area. It would be awesome. It would be really a cool thing. So yeah, I know, I'm getting blank stares here, but it would be really cool. It'd be very cool. It'd be so cool, they'd they would have said, cool. <laughs> Do you know, by the way, that is, did any of you grow up going to church on a Sunday evening? Sunday evening service. Anybody? Does anybody know why a Sunday evening service even existed? Because it was cool. Actually, that is the exact reason. Because the first ones to get light at, at nights were churches. Churches were the first one to get electricity or even gas light, and they were first ones, and so they'd have this evening service, and the church would be lit. It was like, cool. Wow, we can go somewhere where there's light. That would drag. All kinds of people would come just to see the lights. Uh, anyway, it's another neither point. But here's this, this, this light thing is happening, all right? That's what he's referring to. So he's in this exact same uh, place. We're not sure if he's saying this. It doesn't say whether the, when that is being lit or he's just there and everybody knows, aha, this is the place where this happens and it would have happened just recently during that Feast of Tabernacles. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, they got a visual on that. Woo. Whoa, that's really cool. Secondly, scripturally, all throughout the Bible, I'm just going to list two real quick. All throughout the Bible, the idea of light is a direct, a direct claim towards God. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant uh, to restore the tribes of Jacob, bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, so this whole thing about light, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not a light, the light, he is saying, I am God. Here I am. It's an amazing statement. Look at how the religious rulers of the day, the Pharisees, respond. Verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Not, not what do you mean by that? That's an interesting statement, Jesus. Could you expound on that a little bit? No. You know, Jesus, there's one of you. Your testimony isn't valid. Jesus responds, and here we go. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Okay, so your, your, your problem here was they, they're alluding to an Old Testament thing found in Numbers that in order to have a, a true 
uh, if you're gonna make a case, but it's in numbers it's talking about a capital case, if you're gonna try to kill somebody, you have to have two witnesses. You can't just have one, you have to have two. Two that saw this, two that can, can stand up for it. So Jesus is saying, okay, if you need two, I got two. How about hmm, two out of the three persons of the Trinity? <laughs> that pretty much trumps anything else you got going, huh? I got the Son, I got the Father, if you need those two. Okay, so follow this if you can. He says, now I know you're going to need a scorecard for this. I'm going to lay it all out in just a minute, but just hang on here now. I am the light of the world. You don't have enough testimony, people. You're only one guy. Okay, me and the Father testify. Look at how they respond. Then they asked him, where is your Father? Okay. He says, Jesus said, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. That place where it says where the offerings were put, that lets you know that you're in the temple of the, of, well, the woman's court. Uh, the temple of the woman's court. In other words, where this lighting ceremony would have happened. And he says, you, they ask for his father. They're asking, where's Joseph. Bring Joseph out here. We want to see Joseph. And Jesus is saying, oh, man, you guys are so lost. I can't believe this. No, 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 no. You, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father. You wouldn't ask a question like, where's your father? Okay, verse 21. Here we're we going. We're continuing in the la-la land. Once more, Jesus said to them, and he's going to give them a warning. He says, I'm going away, and you'll look for me, and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? Now, I like, I like what it says here in verse 23. It says, but he continued. In other words, I'm going to completely ignore your, your out there-ness with all this. I'm just going to continue on. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. He's giving them a very, very strict warning. Saying, listen, listen. If you don't believe in me, you will die. And I'm not just talking once, I'm talking eternally. You will die, and that's the phrase, in your sins means. Listen! What do they say? They, they, they pick up on the last part, says, I don't know who you claim to be. What do they respond back? Who are you? Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world, look at John 8, 27. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. Well, do, do you think? Uh, they didn't understand. They were, they were completely clueless and they were completely not listening to him. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. 
Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Now, I want to just give you a little summary of the weird conversation here, okay? Here's the summary. First thing, there's a statement. I am the light, uh, that's a typo, I am the light of the world, verse 12. They respond back by saying, hey, you don't have enough people sitting up on the witness stand. Jesus answers the objection, do the math, all right? I got me, I got the Father. And you know what? He could have said, I got John the Baptist, I got the 12 disciples, I've got the crowds, go eat, there's still some fish left in the refrigerator from the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, I got lots of things going for me here, but just do the math, but I'm just going to stay with me and the Father. If you need two, that's enough. That's two. They respond back with, who's your daddy? <laughs> That's what they say. Where's your father? Who's your daddy? Statement number two. I'm leaving. And when I do, you will die in your sin because you cannot follow me. Now listen, if somebody were to say to you, listen, I'm going to leave, and when I leave, you're going to die. You'd probably have something to ask about that. What did they ask? They ask, or they come back with, are you going to kill yourself? What? <laughs> Jesus states it back with a little bit more clarity, and then they respond back, who are you? Jesus clarifies it even one more time. In spite of all that confusion, it's amazing to me, in verse 30, it says, even while this is all happening, some put their faith in him. In the crowd, as they're listening, some are putting their faith in Jesus Christ in the middle of all of this. Now, in 1967, anybody alive in 1967? No, I know. I am. But I was three. But I did see this movie. There's a movie put up by Paul Newman was the main actor. Cool Hand Luke. Anybody ever seen Cool Hand Luke? Best line in the movie is what? What we have here. Very good. Very good. What we have here is to communicate. Worth seeing the movie over is that line alone. That guy right there says that line. And that's what we got going on here. We got failure to communicate. Why do we got the failure to communicate? I got at least five things going on here. Number one, these Pharisees did not come to listen. They were stuck where they were. If you ever hear somebody, they call them pharisaical. What does that mean? It means you're stubborn and you're stuck. You're being so pharisaical. When I do new, uh, when I counsel premarital couples, one of the things you work on is how to listen. Because men, you have no clue how to listen. You have no clue how to listen. And the example I always give is this. Listen, you, it's more than just the words, guys. You have to listen to the tone. If my wife says, Steve, will you take out the garbage? That probably means the garbage is overflowing and I should take it out. Now, men, pay close attention. If she says, Steve, take out the garbage. Listen, in the first case, if I say, fine, I'll take out the garbage, and I take out the garbage, right? Problem solved. In the second case, if she says, Steve, will you take out the garbage? And I say, fine, I'll take out the garbage. And I take out the garbage. Is the problem over? No, the problem is not over. <laughs> the problem is not over. Because the problem was never the garbage. Guys, did you hear that? The problem was never the garbage. <laughs> You're stuck. 
You're just stuck. Guys, you've got to fix it. What's the problem? The garbage is the problem. I'll take care of the problem. Problem solved. Can we be happy now? No, mama ain't happy. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> I hear an amen back there, huh? That's the way it goes in our house. <clears throat> you come to a conversation and you're not listening, you will not hear. It is a simple thing. They did not come to listen. They came to accuse. I don't care where you're at in your spiritual journey. Are you listening to Jesus? Maybe you haven't even started a relationship with him. Have you come with, oh, I got it. I got the one that'll, what about other religions? That's the one that'll stump you. You don't have to stump me. I'm already a follower of Jesus. Are you listening? Maybe you're in a point in your life where you're trying to go one way or the other with the Lord. Are you listening or are you just making a good case for your side? Second thing. <clears throat> this is going to sound weird for a pastor to, to, and I make a lot of shots at this, but um, it sounds weird for a pastor to take a shot at. Uh, they were religious. They were religious. Uh, we're so religious at hope that we have two denominations even, right? We're Baptist General Conference and Evangelical Free, and we're, we're open to more. If you have any good deals, it was a two-for-one coupon we got these on. <laughs> you may come from a religious background. You may come from a Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, uh, whatever, Baptist, I don't care. You can put your stock and your faith in the tradition of that of that whole thing. I know uh, for many, many years, and we're just now getting out of it, a lot of these denominations, especially in Minnesota, were based on your ethnicity. Were you Swedish? Were you Finnish? Were you Danish? Were you, you know, whatever. Whatever you were, that's kind of how you got into this. And so it was way more than just, this is the way I think. No, this is the way our whole family system thinks. This is the way my culture thinks. This is the way I'm going to think. And that's it. You're not going to say anything to dissuade me. I don't care how stupid it is. That's what's going on here. We think this way. You don't fit into our box. Therefore, you're wrong. End of discussion. They've been waiting for the Messiah ever since the promise was given to them in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the promise that through the seed of the woman will come the one. They've been waiting for it for the He's standing right there, but you do not fit in my religious box, so you can't be the one. Man, take heed of that. I've often wondered, and it scares me, and I'll just shoot straight, what would happen if Jesus came today? And he came to our good Baptist, evangelical, free, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian churches and walked in. Man, that's a frightening thing. I, I, it frightens me to think, would we just be so caught up in our own ways we'd stop and not see Jesus? Man, I hope that scares you. It does me. Third thing, the danger of unbelief. We spoke about this one a few weeks ago. I just want to comment on it again. Jesus warns them, looks at them, tells them, do you know by your questioning and the way you're going, you know what you're in danger of? You're in danger of death. And the death is due to the fact that you're not believing. Unbelief. There's a difference between doubting and unbelief. Unbelief is saying, no. Doubting is saying, I, Lord, can you show it to me? I just, how does that work? The one is good. The other one is, back away. I will not follow you. The danger of unbelief 
is that Jesus starts to speak to you not in ways that's clear anymore. He starts to speak like he's doing to them in the matrix. When you start shoving him away, guess what? He lets you. One of the most scary verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 1. Someday, if I, God gives me enough breath, I want to preach through the book of Romans. But there's the scary part in, the, in, in, in chapter 1 where it says that these people kept pushing against God away from him and then it says God gave them over to their sin in his wrath. And you say, wait a minute, man. There's no wrath on the earth. I mean, I know people that smoke doobies all the time. They're not getting, they're not wrathed out. What's the words? the wrath of God? Is it being displayed? It's being displayed because God just keeps giving them over to it. And you got this 75-year-old dude smoking doobies. Can you imagine what that looks like? Yeah, how's it going? I mean, he says for Cheech Marin, it's not very, it's not a very good thing. It, 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 it's something given over to a lifestyle that is just a complete waste. Danger of unbelief is that it will lead that way, and God would just pretty much say, "Fine, you want you you want to push against me sexually? Go ahead, I'll let you." That's the wrath of God, by the way. He just lets you go. That's scary. Man, I do not want God to let me go. I want to stay in the, God, how does this work thing? And not in the no. Fourth thing, peer pressure. There's a crowd of them. There's not just one. There's a crowd of them that come to him. A whole bunch of these Pharisees come together. Man, be careful of that. Be careful of that. If you're at the University of Minnesota, I went to that glorious institution. I remember when I was there that I felt like I was committing intellectual suicide by being a follower of Christ. I remember sitting in classes and people just mocking Christianity or any faith-based thing whatsoever. It wasn't until I went to seminary and I, I studied history, just do a study of history, an honest study of history, and seeing that the, the, the worldview that makes more sense than any other one throughout history is a Judeo-Christian worldview. No doubt. There's no doubt. It, it makes more sense than anything else. But somehow you're mocked, and all of a sudden there's this peer pressure all over the place. And you're going to feel that. If, you haven't, if you're just starting at the U, you will feel that. You will feel that you are swimming upstream, and you are. And the last thing, and the, and the basis for all of this, is the big problem. John 8, 23. And Jesus says in John 8, 23, I have it right up here, you are from, go ahead, the next one, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Now, John, the author of this gospel, when he uses that word world, he loves that word world. He uses it 57 times just in the gospel of John alone. Not, he, has, he has three letters, first and second and third John. He's not very creative there, but anyway, that's what he named him. First, second, third John, or somebody named him. And then the book of Revelation. Not counting that, just in John alone, it's used 57 times. I just want to show you a couple in some of John's writings. Uh, three from the gospel of John and one from 1 John. What John thinks about this phrase, the world, because he says, listen, the big problem here is we are on different frequencies. Your frequency is the world's frequency. My frequency is not the world's frequency. That's the problem here, and here it is. John 1, we already read this one. The first two we've already looked at. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
There's something about the world that is blinded to truth, to the truth of Christ, all right? John 7, verse 7. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to the crowds, and he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. So there's this contrast between Jesus and his followers, and people who want to follow them, they are otherworldly, and according to John, when he, his way, how he uses the word world, oftentimes, and this idea of being worldly and following the ways of the world, whatever just seems right in your own eyes, even religious. John 18, we'll see this. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry, right when he's about ready to be crucified. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another world place. There's these two things and they are in conflict with one another. This world and Jesus' kingdom. There's a conflict here. Then in 1 John he writes this. John says, and this time it's in the form of a letter. So John is speaking, the author of the book of John and of the letters of uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He says this in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't just stop there. You think, whoa, wait a minute now. Aren't we supposed to love people and love puppy dogs and love daisies and all that stuff? He's going to define what he means here by world. Point blank. Here it is. For everything in the world, and here it is. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Look at those things again. The cravings of sinful man. In other words, the, the things that come up, my appetites that come up, not from God, but because I just need him to get satisfied. I have to have my own appetite satisfied. The lust of his eyes. I want what I see. I want it. I have to have it. That'll fill me up. It's not God. It's something that I can see, and I want it to fill, fill me up. And then the boasting of what he has and does. I'm not going to say that God is the one who makes me significant. What makes me significant is that I, I drive a certain car, or I have a, a wife and a kid and a, and, a, and a car that runs fast or a nice house or whatever. That's the stuff of the world. And Jesus says, why we're on different frequencies here, because you got your radio set to this frequency and I'm talking in this frequency. You're listening in the world And I'm in this frequency now. How do you have a conversation with Jesus not like that? I don't think any one of us in this room wants to have a conversation with Jesus like that. It, 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 the rest of John 8 is just as bad. I mean, it, it, we go on to different subjects, but it's just basically the same, different frequency thing. How do you do that? Well, having a conversation with Jesus, uh, we have traditionally called prayer. So how do you have a conversation with Jesus Christ that doesn't go like this? Two different frequencies. If you didn't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Jesus ain't changing his frequency. You got to change yours. He, he, he stays on one frequency. 
If you're here this morning and you're single, which about 70% of the people at Hope are single, which is great, and you've decided to ask God for a spouse, which is a great thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. My wife's not even here and I said that. See, it's a good thing. I love being married. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're asking God for a spouse because you're asking him for a God replacement and you're wondering why he's not answering it, it's mercy. It's merciful. Now, if you're asking God, God, I want to follow you. I want to know you. You're the most important thing in my life. And if you deem it in your sovereignty and in your all-knowingness, if I could have a life partner, that would be great. Now, he, I, I, don't, I don't know how he'll answer that. But that's the right frequency. That's the God frequency. Oh, God, I just want to get married because... Everybody else is, and I, feel, I don't feel sufficient, and there's something wrong with me, and uh, I'm lonely. That's the frequency of what boasting what you have or don't have. Lust of my eyes, I've got to have what everybody else has. Are you on the right frequency? Now, let me talk to everybody who's married in the room. Boy, this can be just as bad. John Calvin said that the, the heart is an idol factory. And it is. And the number one if you're married is your spouse. Fill me up. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need, I need. To quote Bob. Uh, right? This is it, man. I got married. What do you mean I still got problems? You're supposed to fix them. It's just as bad. And so you go, you go to God and you say, God, would you just make my wife be quite a little bit less selfish? Something's wrong with her. <laughs> what are you really asking? God, I want that person that you provided not to be a source, but to be a resource. I want that person to be my source. Oh, God, have mercy on you if he answers that prayer. I, I pray that he doesn't. He'd see your own selfishness. You'd see that you're trying to make that other person your God. Are you on the right frequency? Or are you just deciding, you know what, Sunday's over, whoop, turn it back to that station, I'm just going to live this way, and wonder why you don't commune at all with Jesus Christ. It's pretty good. Lord, I praise you that you never change a frequency. That's a, that's a thing of, of praise. And I know that every one of us, like John Calvin said, that we all have hearts that have idols in them. We seek after things. Lord God, by your spirit, even as we sing these last two songs, by your spirit, would you bring to mind what those things are so that we can right now take them off our altars take our idols off our altars and put them down where they belong and put you on the, on the altar of our life. Jesus, I pray for especially those who are students here. The university is going to try to chew them up and spit them out. The percentage of students that start college with a religious a uh, faith in Jesus Christ and those who end it is staggering. I think it's 70 to 80%.
lose their faith in college. So Father, I pray that you would do an amazing work right, right here, even now, today. You'd open up our hearts to your frequency. We'd hear you. We'd see you. We'd see that our hearts are on fire and that we can see clearly in this dark world because you are the light of the world. If we follow you, we'll, even though we're in a dark place, we will have light. So Lord, I pray for that in this room. I pray for those who are going through very difficult times and the road seems dark. Jesus, your promise is just as true. I am the light of the world. Lord, I pray for those in this room who may be hard-hearted and religious. I pray that you would grant mercy this morning. I'm amazed that John 8 is in the Bible. I'm amazed, Jesus, that you spoke to these people this long. You had a heart even for them. You spoke hard words to them. And Lord, sometimes we need to hear hard words from you. So Jesus Christ, if that's what you want to do by your spirit in this room, even as we sing these last songs, speak hard words to people if that's necessary. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.